Well, welcome to the fourth episode of the Empower One Network Conversations. Man, I'm so grateful that you decided to join us today uh, in our conversations. We are uh, excited that you're using your time, treasure, and talent to help us empower this movement. And without you, we couldn't do this movement at all. And so we're grateful for the support that you give us. Uh, my name is Chad Vandiver, and I have the privilege of serving as the director of the Empower One Network, where we're planting churches that plant churches all over Northeast Africa. On today's episode, I'm joined by one of our newest partners, but a longtime friend of mine, Dr. Eric Thomas, who is the senior pastor of First Baptist Church Norfolk in Norfolk, Virginia. And he also serves as the chairman of the trustees at the North American Mission Board. And Eric is one of the most fun and encouraging leaders I know. Uh, he's a great passion for missions, as well as a great sense of humor. And uh, he and I have worked on church multiplication together for about a decade now. And uh, man, he is the partner that you want where in, when you're engaging lostness in uh, places all over the world. Um, he is great at partnering with you to reach people who are far from God. And so I'm also joined as always by Matt Congrove, who is our co-founder and executive director, and Matt Jones, who serves as our director of spiritual development, and Zach Potts, who has leveraged his business uh, so that he could serve as our South Sudanese liaison. So guys, what an amazing retreat we had last week. What is one thing that God taught you? I know you're not asking me because I wasn't there, but if I were there, I would say, man, God just fell down on us. It was awesome. <laughs> well, you would have loved it, man. We had a fire and we were sitting outside on a ranch in Central Texas. You, you would have loved it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'll go first. I think I think um, we work remotely and um, we don't get to get together in person as often as we would like. But, you know, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let's not give up on meeting together. Um, and I just think there's something really special. And you see this in short term trips. You see this when you go to Africa. There's just something special when you get together with believers and just fellowship. And uh, it's something that that can't be replaced. So uh, you know, we spent two days together. We all still like each other. I think we're stronger because of it. And uh, it was a good time. Uh, that's awesome. Mike? Yes. And Go ahead, Zach. On, uh, you know, because we work remote, um, it's not often we get the entire team together, you know, in one spot. And so um, what's really been impactful to me, though, is at Empower One, uh, you just hear the words abide in prayer all the time. And uh, we take a lot, oftentimes these, these quarterly get togethers and we practice that. And so um, where oftentimes you want to cram a bunch of things in and, and get some work done. Um, we take, uh, we took time both days to just uh, be alone with God and, and pray. And so I really enjoyed that. Cool. Yeah, I kind of piggyback on that a little bit. I We did staff retreats for years and they were um, real work-based. I mean, I remember we had a guy on our staff who said, this isn't actually a retreat. <laughs> and uh, you, you got to name it something different because we're not retreating. And, um, and this year uh, we took a different tack and our operations manager, Kelly Pearson, put, put the schedule together and it was much more retreat. And I think... Um, 
I, I think I learned that uh, there was a lot, there was a lot of value to that. I think limiting the quote work part, mm-hmm. um, me end up talking shop anyway, a lot of the time, even in the off time, but, um, I was reminded how valuable, um, just being together in relationship. And I think Kelly said our goals were to, and one of them was to have fun and la- eat well and laugh or something like, and so, and, uh, it was like, yeah, that's, that, that, that that's what was valuable and worthy. So, uh, I was, it was a good reminder for me. Yeah, it was awesome. I, I think great teams are built around fires. And man, it was great to have a fire outdoors, sit around, hang out. That was really cool. So um, well, it was a sweet time. Well, cool. Well, today's episode is about um, how to uh, lead and send out homegrown church planners. This is the power of those homegrown church planners. But we know that most church planners, most pastors are fueled by espresso. And so today's episode is brought to you again by Boone, which is the African <laughs> answer to espresso. And this is in honor of my fellow coffee connoisseur, Eric Thomas. So our <laughs> team loves it. <laughs> I encourage you to come with us to Africa and you can even take some home if you like. So, uh, man, uh, it is it is a great drink, man. We'd love for you to, to experience Boone. Well, as, as I mentioned, our conversation is about homegrown church planners and really more specifically, the multiplicative power of indigenous leaders who plant churches in their hometowns. There's just something about that that is unique. And uh, really over and over again, in my experience in church planting, I've seen that be the most successive way to go. And so, Eric, you and I have worked with indigenous church planners for for many years now, like I mentioned, over a decade. What do you think makes them so successful? You know, I, I, I as I was, am I, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Sorry. My, my ears are not made for these little buds. Um, <laughs> I I really do think that when you look at multiplication and how it takes root, uh, you have to have someone who understands and knows intimately the culture in which the church planting is going to be taking place uh, to make disciples who make disciples, plant churches that plant churches. There there has to be a uh, a root of understanding of uh, of the uh, intricacies of that culture. And certainly, you know, we can train people to do certain things, but until they're immersed in in that culture, uh, they're still behind the curveball. With indigenous church planters, they already understand the culture. They speak the language. They understand the, the nuance of a particular region uh, that gives them inroads and uh, on-ramps uh, for church planting that um, no matter no matter how well trained we are to go into a different culture, we it takes us a decade to even understand the nuance of that culture of that particular region. And uh, I, you know, I I love it. I I think it's the way to go in terms of church planting for sure. Yeah, that's right. You and I used to talk about how we would see church planters in Canada who'd grown up in different towns like Edmonton or Montreal or. Quebec City, he'd been dreaming about planting churches there. And so there is something special there, I think, that they bring. Well, uh, Mike, you've been co-leading a church planting movement made up exclusively of indigenous church planters for almost two decades now. Uh, what are a few best practices that we can learn from Northeast African church planters here in the U.S.? Yeah, thanks. And Eric, thanks for that. An- that was your first answer. I, that's uh, encouraging for me to hear from you. Um <clears throat> 
You know, first one I thought about was um, it's a little bit maybe technical, but because um, because our heartbeat is is not just using indigenous leaders, but it's pursuing unreached tribes. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we like to joke around that, you know, we've made like all the mistakes and um, we've sent even indigenous missionaries cold into unreached tribal areas. Mm-hmm. And um, God's always been gracious with us. But one of the things that that they taught us really as a best practice is to follow relational lines. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and as your network grows, it does get a little bit easier. I know if your network's not real big, that can be challenging, but as it grows and ours has grown over the years, you know, what we find is you will identify an unreached tribe. But if you survey our network, sometimes we'll, you know, you'll find, oh, well, my cousin married a guy into that place or, yeah, yeah, my uncle is serving as a police officer there. Um, and if you can follow that line and start around that relational um, re- relationship, that it we, we've had way greater um, success uh, that way and just more comfort. It, it's, it's almost like the person of, of peace principle. Um, and then the second one is one we've talked about maybe even in this podcast before is uh, – when I use the word community in the American context, um, you know, we think about community groups, life groups, you know, those kind of things. And, um, and our, we, we struggle a little bit as Americans there. Um, when we find it, it's so life giving, but in our context in Northeast Africa, it, that's like breathing. Yeah. And so I think one of the best practices is just how naturally wired um, the network of men and women we work with, how um, they are for community mm-hmm. and and what that looks like in terms of a church planner is, um, uh, you know, going out and spending time in the community, going out to do evangelism. And then once a preaching point starts, it turns into a church or um, shepherding those people in their homes along the way and, and going out and spending time with them and in that community and just li- and being in community, it's so natural uh, for them. And, and, and that just kind of all always going out, being in homes, um, being with the people is a, uh, is a real strength for our church planners. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Matt, you and I were talking about this uh, earlier this week, just the fact that, you know, when we launch churches in Northeast Africa, there's not a question as to whether or not people are going to come, people are going to show up, you know, it's easy to launch large in Northeast Africa, but the question is spiritual maturity. What spiritual maturity are they at in the in the church? And so, as our guys are are discipling and they're starting small groups, what are some things that the North American uh, church planning world needs to learn from Northeast African church planners? Yeah, um, I think you know I've I've been a part of two church plants in North America, and I I love it, and I think I grew a ton from it. But um, I think what I've seen being a part of American church plants is we can build a plan to plant a church around uh, strategy and methods and strong leaders and uh, all those things are good. But when you're relying on those things to be a successful church plant, um, that's when it becomes a problem. What we see in Africa is um, it's 100% about taking Jesus to the people and like... Mm. I think in the U S we try to start with methods and strategies and plans. And then like, we're going to, we're going to kind of fit Jesus into those a little bit. Um, but I think with the, with, um, 
what we see in North Africa, Mike teed it up. They're 100% relational and they already care for people and they already have the relationships. And then they, they just have this like burden to take Jesus to them. We've had Bible students drop out of NEETS because they lived in an unreached area and they were so burdened by the fact that their community didn't know Jesus that they left and went back and preached. And, um, all they knew was Jesus and that's it. They didn't have plans. They didn't have strategies. They just knew that, uh, Jesus needed to be preached there. So, um, and the North American church plants, I think it needs to be two things just to start off is like, it needs to be prayed for and led by Christ where you're going. Um, you know, we hear a lot of vernacular about we're going to take the city for Jesus. And, uh, it's almost like just this like war cry, um, which is good. We need to have that mentality, but at the same time, um, we need to do that, giving all the glory to God and, uh, not do it relying on funding and personality. Um, the other thing is just being a hundred percent relational. Um, I think a, a key verse for me about understanding the kingdom of God is Luke four forty three. He says, I must go and preach the kingdom of God for that's my reason of coming. And, um, if we can understand what it means to be in the kingdom, um, I think evangelism becomes a natural outflow of that. And it's not, it's not like a, a burden or this awkward interchange between strangers. Like when you invest in people and you really love people, um, talking about Jesus with them is going to be a natural outpouring that you have with them. So, um, yeah, what we can learn from the Africans is be relational and, uh, rely 100% on Jesus. That's awesome. Now remind and us what is needs again. Yeah, neats. I'm sorry. I keep using, I keep, everybody should know. Um, it is, a that's our Bible school in Africa. It's 100% indigenously led. It, uh, neats is an acronym for Northeast Africa Theological Seminary. Yeah. That's awesome. And we've just, we've just begun launching a residency, uh, which will help prepare church planners, uh, when they graduate from needs before they get our, one of our church location centers, they'll spend a year in residency, which, which is awesome that, that we get to do that and get to begin incorporating some principles there that are proven in church location. Well, Zach, um, man, you've been walking with uh, a lot of these uh, church planners for a while. Uh, what have you most enjoyed about walking with them? Goodness, I uh, I enjoy the passion um, that they have um, to serve God and bring Him honor and glory through the church, and their their just desire to show people Jesus. And so it just comes out in in their language and in our conversations and how. Um, you know, they, they identify regions or villages where they say, you know, like there's, there's no churches there. Those people are unreached and we need to go there. And it just, um, man, it, it, it I, I tell people all the time, it, it kind of feels like the, the book of Acts when we're over there sometimes yeah. and you just get to see things happening one of the church plants I'm working with in the capital city right now, uh, it's the home church and um, started out with two pastors being sent there as, as missionary pastors. And then all of a sudden there's like four other guys living there now because they're discipling them every night. Yeah. And, and you just see that brotherhood 
you imagine, you know, that Jesus and the disciples as they live together and walk together and just this preparing to send these disciples out to these unreached areas. And so getting to be a part of that is just uh, so amazing. Yeah, it is incredible. I mean, just how similar it is to the early church where their numbers are being added to daily, you know, and that, that is a beautiful thing that, that we get to experience in, uh, in Northeast Africa. Well, uh, Eric, what would you like, having listened to some, some of the, the things that you guys have shared about Northeast African church planners, what would you like North American church planners to learn for Northeast African church planners? You know, I, I, I just resonate so much with, um, number one, uh, Matt, what you shared uh, in terms of it's it's got to be built around relationship and Jesus. And um, and in, a, in the North America, we are so process and program and personality driven in church planting um, that we if we've got the plan and we follow the process, then we're going to get the result. And uh, of course, that's the the mindset, but we're entering into a stage, even in North America, where uh, we don't have a front rudder status anymore as followers of Jesus. We're uh, we're not um, where we were in the 1950s, 60s, or 70s in terms of um, majority faith um, that 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 we enjoyed for so long, and. Um, where, uh, where I would love for us as North American churches and church planting to really learn how to plant churches in a way that honors Christ, where we're not the majority. Um, because I think that's one of the lessons we're going to have to learn, you know, in Africa, you know, on a broad scale. Um, Christianity is growing. The gospel is pushing back darkness at, in rates that uh, is greater than any other time in the history of the world. Um, and and yet we in North America think we've got a corner on the market. We have to learn from those who are living uh, and planting and taking Jesus to the villages and the um, uh, and the peoples where they where they there aren't followers of Jesus, we got to learn how to do it that way. And um, one of the reasons why Chad and I partner together in different places in different ways is because, uh, as pastor of uh, First Norfolk, you know, it's a two hundred and fifteen year old church. Um, I've been I'm the longest tenured pastor in the history of the church. Been here twenty years, um, but the season of church in Norfolk, Virginia, the seven cities of Hampton Roads, it's different than it was even two, when I came two decades ago. We've got to learn to plant churches in ways um, where we don't have, we're, we're not the main course on the buffet table. We're just one among many options. Yeah. And uh, man, what, what's happening in uh, Northeast Africa uh, and in other parts of the world uh, those are the lessons we have to learn uh, if we're going to see a movement continue in North North America. Well, man, we're so grateful for you, Eric. Thank you for the way you've led your church to partner with Empower One in, in a big way. We're excited about what God's going to do in Yay, South Sudan 
<laughs> to you guys. Yay! That's awesome. Yay! <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exciting. Well, cool. Well, Mike, over the last two decades, how have Empower One church planners developed the next generation of church planners in East Africa? Eric just talked about how there's this move that is historic happening. What, what have you seen over the last two decades? Yeah. Well, we had to. I mean, first of all, so when we started in 2006, we um, we really couldn't find trained leaders, um, in, you know, out in the community. So our African leader, David Kaya, and a few other uh, guys that he had grown up with uh, in refugee camp said, let's build them from scratch. And, you know, Matt's partnering to lead NEATS. So we started NEATS. So part of it is we've 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 brought them to our church planning Bible school. There's a main campus. And then there's also extension centers all throughout South Sudan, Congo, Sudan. Uh, it's been in Chad. So <clears throat> there's that's a, a way that we've more formally trained um, the next generation. But, you know, I'll give you an example of, of a, a region of South Sudan called the Upper Nile. Mm-hmm. So it's the Northeast part of, uh, of South Sudan and, and one of the guys that we did find pretty early on was a guy named John Monchol, and he'd been trained in Kenya when he was a refugee there. Um, he'd been a child soldier. He'd got shot, came to Kenya, found Jesus, went to a seminary there. So he goes back to the Upper Nile, and he sends some guys to be trained. And so now he's got, you know, his disciples who are making disciples, and we got a WhatsApp message from a guy named Philip Coor, one of his disciples, been through our Bible school um, and Philip said, Hey, we've got 56, uh, students right now that I'm, that he's personally training. And that's Zach. I think in the last two years, that's the fourth or fifth class of church planners Phillips run through. So, um, there's a, you know, a one-on-one discipleship, like a Paul Timothy. Absolutely. Those things are happening. We've got a more formal with needs. And then sometimes we've got kind of an in-between, but, but we're constantly looking and bringing in younger folks and training them, sending them back out. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, that's that's our second Timothy 2-2, right, strategy that we're, <laughs> we're seeing lived out uh, there. That's incredible. Well, Matt, uh, Northeast Africa Theological Seminary, as we talked about, um, man, they've I think they've recently graduated 35 students this year, right? Yeah, on uh, March 25th, they'll graduate another class, yeah. That's awesome. So how does the seminary prepare future church planners, and then where do they decide to, to send them? Sure. Um, well, we have strategic areas where we're planning churches, like church multiplication centers throughout Northeast Africa. So where they're coming from, these um, the secret sauce is discipleship. Like, you know, that was Jesus's strategy. So I think that's good for us. So um, these church planners that are in the field, they're making disciples, they're doing DTIs, these, these extension centers. And um, the students that show to be particularly strong, they recommend them to go to NEATS. And um, they go there, they're trained formally. Um, first year is more of a, we'll teach you the principles of church planning. Um, if you if you like it, stick around for the next year, and we're really going to train you to, to get serious. So the third year is diploma. So the first year is the extension center. The second year is certificate. The third year is diploma. Diploma is when it's extremely practicum based. Um, in fact, if you aren't a part of a church plant, you don't graduate. So um, this, they learn from the teachers. The teachers are pastors and church planners. 
they're being discipled, they're being shepherded. Um, Mawa, John Leakey, um, he's the principal, the president, and he's been a missionary. He's kind of, we, I've, I've said it on here before, but he's the, he's the Swiss army knife of, uh, of being a pastor. Cause he's been a missionary. He's been a teacher. He's worked on the admin side. Um, and he literally built a church in his backyard so he could pastor it when he's not, um, at NEETS. But, um, where they're going to answer that part of the question, that's where they come from. They're recruited from the specific regions where they're from. So throughout these countries, they're trained and then they're sent back into these countries to be a part of these multiplication centers. So the lead pastors of these multi, uh, flagship churches or multiplication centers send them to NEETS. They're trained up at NEETS and they go back out to continue their training underneath these um, underneath these. Uh, pastors at these multiplication centers, and they will be the ones who are going out and planting churches with our goal to plant 750 churches in the next 10 years. So these are, these are the heavy lifters. These are the, um, needs is the heartbeat, the engine, the factory of church planners in empower one. Yeah. It's, it's always incredible to me how, uh, African leaders don't think about maybe one church a year, but they're thinking about hundreds of churches <laughs> that really saturate their countries uh, with the gospel and advance the kingdom together through church planning. And as we all would agree, church planning is probably the most effective tool uh, to share the gospel today. And uh, and so, man, God has really gifted us with some incredible leaders. Uh, well, Zach, if you could give pastors in the U.S. advice on how to prepare the next generation of church planners, what would that be? Well, I was kind of sitting here thinking about some of the different things that have already been said, and I thought, man, I'm just going to sound like I'm uh, repeating uh, some of the same terminology, um, but I don't know that it has to be as difficult as we may have built things up in our minds. Yeah. And so the the, the terms relationships, disciple-making, these are things that I think of. And so, you know, when I think of um, the next generation of church planners, my first thought was kind of like, who is that? And so are we thinking um, those that are attending a seminary or are we willing to broaden that a little bit and look inside um, the members in our own church and start there? And so, uh, I would love to see pastors, church leaders, you know, um, I, I haven't been to seminary. I feel like uh, I told somebody the other day, I feel like I kind of got get to jump into the practicum part of that in some ways. But I don't have the I don't have the classroom. I, I've done some reading on my own and and all that good stuff. But I, um, you know, you one of my friends uh, who lived internationally and, and, and was there in, intentionally, you know, I told him how I wanted to be involved in Northeast Africa. And uh, I said, man, I, I'm gonna think about going to seminary. And he said, man, at that time, he said, you've been in church for like 33 years. Like, you know enough to talk to people who've never even heard Jesus's name. Like, just go do the work. And, um, you know, I said, okay. So we, uh, I, I would just love to see churches look at their people, their current people, and challenge them to take this outside of the church. 
the pastor's tied down in, inside so so much. He's got a large responsibility with his flock. But he should be challenging his flock to go out and get unbelievers. And uh, then I think you're going to see that um, manifest in ways and opportunities where all of a sudden there's people who have five or ten or man, if you like Eric said, if you're challenging to go to the parts of town that don't have a church every other block, what an opportunity and not being afraid to let those people go. Um, and so I would love to to see that just start organically. And um, man, there's a place for seminary. I'm so grateful for um, our pastors and people that are passionate about learning more and and um, making sure they're um, understanding the context and theology and, and all these things that are important because we, we see people can... I started a Bible study with some um, people who didn't grow up in church and one person who was an atheist. And man, when you read the Bible with them and ask them questions, they pick things out of verses that you don't hear in Sunday school. <laughs> yep. And so it's fun. And uh, it's really fun to be able to talk to them and work through that and pray about it. And, and so, um, man, and just encouraging people to be willing to, to do that and, and to send them out before they've got all the credentials. Don't be afraid to do that. Yeah. Can I, can I jump in on that? Too? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, and, and just comparing our Western culture, church culture to African church culture is like, we're a knowledge based culture. So we feel like we have to know all the answers before we open our mouth and go try to talk to somebody about it. In Africa, they're an obedience-based culture, so they're just going to do what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And what I've found here in the U.S. just personally is like you will not gain confidence through the through the acquisition of knowledge, but you gain confidence through your obedience, mm -hmm. and then that that confidence continues to grow. and And there's this, you know, the Holy Spirit, like the Holy Spirit shows up, and we're like you, you know, he's he's going to remind you of verses and things that you've learned and and you haven't thought about in years in the moment. And then you're going to have these like, aha, like Holy Spirit moments, like, oh my gosh, like that was the perfect thing to say. And I don't know where it came from. Mm -hmm. So like my advice would be, let's, um, let's gain our confidence through our obedience and not through our knowledge, because the line keeps moving when it comes to knowledge, you're never going to know enough or be comfortable with it. Yeah, that's great advice. What about you guys, Eric and Mike? Well, one of the things that we've tried to do at our church is it, we, we started this thing during COVID called Scattered Church uh, from Acts 8. Um, and uh, essentially, we've continued Scattered Church, which is um, an organic house church movement throughout the seven cities of Hampton Roads, raising up leaders within the framework of our family of faith who are um, equipped at the most minuscule level. Uh, most of them, like you, Zach, they've been in church 30 years. They already got enough to do what needs to be done. We're just there to help coach them in some of the stuff they're not certain of. Yeah. And um, and so they've started churches uh, in their community. Again, not revolutionary, not breakthrough, uh, kind of real biblical kind of thing. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, different than... Uh, as you said, it's different than uh, the North American model mm -hmm. that has uh, been so uh, predominant uh, around us. And so um, it it 
it, it's been very exciting to see how uh, seminary, look, I got my PhD, I am happy, <laughs> uh, but I don't use it, right? I mean, it, it, that's it, the obedience factor that Matt was talking about. That's that's where you gain your confidence, and that's what we're called to do. We're called to know Jesus, but that's not book learning. That's learned through as we go and bear much fruit yeah. um, and and are obedient to his command. So yeah. just my just my little David Bosch missional transforming mission moment there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, to, so, so I won't be repetitive. I mean, I just as I'm listening, I'm just thinking, you know, God is a rewarder of faith. Yeah, And when I listen into the rest of the guys talk, it's like, on the one hand, there's the lay people in the pew, so to speak. And God will reward their faith when they go out. And, you, you know, your co- question was like in the context of the American pastor and, and I, and the faith of having your people go, because um, sometimes that's not sometimes, oftentimes that's really hard. I mean, you're, you, you know, there's, there's a lot of mega churches now, but there's a lot of churches that aren't, you know, there's a lot of churches that are 50 people, 200 people. And when you send eight of them out, it's an impact. Yeah. And I yeah. think that is a challenge uh, for the faith of that pastor. And even if it is a big church, oftentimes you're sending your quote, best people. And, um, and that's a loss. Mm-hmm. And so, but God, I think rewards that faith on both sides and just remembering that. And, and I think all of us on this and probably everyone who's listening or watching this, most people who are kind of practitioners, practitioners of this, have a, if we just think back when we took that step out, that first couple steps, mm-hmm. looking back, the rewards that have come along the way um, and just see God meet you when you didn't have all the knowledge, you didn't have all the answers, you kind of didn't know how it was all going to work. And um, and I love, you know, earlier on just to tie those, those some of these thoughts together of, you know, you make Jesus the center and then you go obey. And we've been taught we've been using the word fun. <laughs> it's when it gets fun. I think sometimes we yeah. we forget that. It's like, excuse me, it's like well, to your you know the earlier discussion of I like how Eric put it. You know, there's this method and process and A plus B should equal C. And um Oftentimes that works and praise the Lord, but, but sometimes when you go off path, mm-hmm. it can get really, really fun. And when God shows up in a way and brings people that you don't expect and puts you in places you don't expect. And um, I think that's the part of the Christian life that um, we should offer to more folks. Yeah. <clears throat> Absolutely. Amen. Yeah, you're you're so right. I think I think when you do see the fun, I mean, I grew up seeing this, seeing missions as fun, and saw it, seeing my parents have fun, my grandparents have fun living on the mission field, and then I, it's addictive. You you want to to be a part of that, and so it becomes generational. I think even, and um, that's it's exciting when that happens. Um, I think also back to your point about you know the the risk of sending your best uh, as a pastor. In COVID and in, in a post COVID world really has revealed that. Are, are we going to have the, the faith to send our very best out with, without the promise of new people coming in? And, uh, and so I, I think that's tested our faith maybe a little bit there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, not, I, Chad, I just think about um, during COVID, you know, I don't, I don't know, Eric, what spurred that on for you guys, if it was not being able to meet, but 
um, many of our friends and partners in um, one of the countries in Northeast Africa, they, they had restrictions that were really severe and they lasted longer than many places. And um, what they were forced to do was, was start home churches. Yeah. And um, they had the pastors, the, the lead pastors, kind of traveling around, helping, assisting. But um, men had to step up and lead their families and uh, just the, kind of the way they live, that may be some extended family, some friends th- who live really, really close. Um, you, you see a lot of homes gathered together in threes and fours and fives. And so they could gather in those groups. And um, man, all of a sudden, you've just got, you know, 50 leaders and a church of 200 that you were before you had five leaders. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah. and that's something that um, you know, that's a gift. I think that was a gift. Yeah. Now that leadership's there. Yeah. 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 One, one of one, one of the things one of the things that you know we're in Virginia. I, our church is in Virginia, which is not Texas. So when COVID hit, we were in Virginia, which yeah. is not Texas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying it's Northeast Africa, but restrictions <laughs> were heavy here. Uh, and we're not Texas. Um, but no, I mean, the reality is um, moving. So you had that that mentality where we had to be more missional, had to be more um, uh, uh, intentional in moving people um, to places um, reaching people around them rather than uh, drawing them to a center core, which is, you know, our church is one of those center core churches. We have seven cities uh, in a two million uh, population center, uh, and we drew from all of them plus North Carolina. COVID hits, and immediately you know you're losing people. Uh, the larger the church, and I, I can only speak for for our church, but but larger church, you have the uh, anonymous attender that has always come. They're 15, 20% of your congregation or your gathering. Um, and you've lost them. Uh, you don't meet for a year and a half in person. You've lost them. They're not there. They're, they're, they're marginal and fringe. Mm-hmm. And we just don't think that's a healthy model to continue. We, we, we saw, um, and we were moving this way anyway, but we saw the value in and already a natural inclination to go into a more uh, uh, community based um, missionary missional kind of mentality. Um, so it it protects you. At, at, the closer you are in community, the, the less fringe and margin you have, even if the people that have gathered with you in that close community are not believers They're they're there. They find community with these other folks. And uh, we wanted to leverage that and maintain that. And I think that's really kind of the model. Uh, talk about things that I want uh, our church to learn. Man, that's we've got to we've got to get back to that biblical pattern, that New Testament model that literally turned the world on its head. Um, 
you know, that's the model we need to get to. Yeah. And that means we've got to give up some of the stuff that we've enjoyed. Yeah. Mm. But that's okay. I mean, that's, that, that's part of it. Yeah. yeah. That is so good. Or any last closing words that you guys would give? Yeah, I mean, just on on the heels of Eric, I mean, that's the Ephesians four model of the church, and that's what yeah. that's what Paul said. He's like, "This is it until until we're done." Like, yeah, the pastors and the leaders are going to be training leaders, and then you guys are going to go out in the community, and we're going to multiply disciples. And um, the 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 Western Church has that pretty much 100% upside down. We think that the people on staff do the work. We're just going to come and we're going to eat from the buffet and then we're going to go and uh, we'll be back next week. But um, that's it. I mean, quite frankly, that's a pretty boring religion. But when we, when we understand that we've been given the keys to the kingdom, the Holy Spirit lives in us and um, Jesus promised to always be with us and guide us and come in behind us. And um, man, that's, that's when it gets exciting is when we understand just the value and purpose. And um, I mean, we're unstoppable. Like who doesn't want to be unstoppable? You know, <laughs> right. Uh, right. It's, it's a fun epiphany to have. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, Eric, I know uh, you're a new Empower One partner, but how is partnering with Empower One blessed your church so far? I think just giving us uh, another opportunity, another vision uh, of um, uh, how we can be a part of something that seems almost impossible. You know, uh, you, you look at uh, regions uh, like Northeast Africa and, and segments in that, man, that seems so hard. And yet God blesses that um, as, uh, as, as we've uh, in, been encouraged and inspired uh, by the stories of, Empower One and the partners with Empower One Church planters out of Northeast um, uh, Africa Theological Seminary, uh, the church multiplication process, all of those things continue uh, to encourage us. And uh, we learn lessons, but it also inspires us if um, if Pastor Joe can go to a, a, a village um, where there are no Christians mm -hmm. and, uh, under all kinds of adverse circumstances, still be faithful in presenting and preaching the gospel and planting a church. Why in the world can I not do it in my neighborhood <laughs> in, you know, Chesapeake, Virginia, you know, and that's the kind of thing. It's a discipleship process for us as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it, we learn from these church planters connected through Empower One, man, we learn from those who are practitioners uh, in difficult places. And and it's exciting uh, for the church. And it, it's, it's exciting for me. Absolutely, man. We're so grateful for you. And you're exactly right. We like to call that the infinity. Mm -hmm. loop, that when you go and learn things with us on a mission trip, you know, when Pastor Joe comes with us, God's going to meet him and teach him things that he would have never had the opportunity to learn had he not gone on that trip. And then he's able to come back home and apply that in his community among his neighbors, you know, wherever he buys coffee or, or gas or groceries. And then I mean, he gets better at it in his community. He goes back to, to Northeast Africa on a mission trip with us and is able to apply it. And then just back and forth, 
you know, until he goes to heaven, he's able to go yeah. <laughs> that way. And that's an exciting, exciting thing that God has given us. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me today for our fourth episode. Man, it's been so great to learn from you. And we look forward to seeing everybody on our fifth episode where we'll be listening uh, and learning from two of our church planners in Northeast Africa. They'll be joining us live uh, on our uh, fifth episode. Well, thank you so much and take care.